Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. It's been a nice full Sunday. We have had the opportunity to dedicate children here, uh, reports from around the world. God's doing a lot, and I'm so glad to be with you. My name is Pastor Chris, and we just want to welcome you, especially if you're new here. Uh, we are a church that's all about seeing changed lives, changing lives, and the work that God's doing in our lives would go and have a ripple effect in the lives of others. Um, you got to hear from Wendy today, and she encouraged you to pray. I just want to highlight again, I didn't do it in the first service, we have the opportunity every year, we started this last year, for you to become a prayer partner for missions. And what that looks like is that every month you should receive, and many of you should have already received an email just a couple of days ago that has... Um, a listing of all the prayer requests that our missionaries from the field are dealing with. And what we've done is broken that into seven regions and uh, one per region of the world. And, uh, and so you could sign up for a region of the world, whether it's Eurasia or Northern Asia. Uh, over 50 families are signed up for Northern Asia. And every uh, month you're praying for those needs. Sometimes we have missionaries that come in and so we send out an email to that group in particular and you get to even come and pray and meet with some of the missionaries and hear updates of what's happening on the field. If you are on that newsletter, you've received a video. We have a video from a missionary for each region, and uh, James, Wendy's husband, was actually on that video. So if those of you that are subscribed, you can go on and you can do that. If not, you can go to evangelchurch.com in our mission section, and I believe you can click there to subscribe and receive those prayer emails. So please lift up our missionaries in prayer. As we do that, God is doing uh, a great work. If you're in, uh, have your Bible in front of you, you can open up with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be in Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament, and we're in a series of messages called Rebuilding Hope, and it's a journey through the book of Nehemiah. We're walking through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we are seeing the picture of what God does to rebuild the hope of a people. Nehemiah is one of the great leaders that we read about in Scripture. He was one that was able to rally a group of people who were defeated and hopeless, and they were able to complete the vision of what God had for them in record time uh, against amazing adversity, and the Lord was so glorified through that work. And I know for us today, hope is a very powerful word because we live in a world where many people are hopeless. People are struggling with hopelessness all the time. And so we believe that today, in this day, in this area, in this community, we as a church are called, if we're changed lives, changing lives, that as we go out, lives are being changed and hope is being rebuilt. And so we are taking part in that. We are putting what we read about into practice. In just a few short months, we are going to be hitting the streets and going out and serving our community with service for service. And we're learning and applying the principles of Nehemiah because we believe this is a God-sized goal that is meant to unite us together and mobilize us in service to the Lord. And we're going to believe together for the same end result. That same end result that Nehemiah had was not rebuilt walls, but it was revived hearts and lives that had been changed. And we're believing for many lives in our community to be changed because of our work that we are walking in for the Lord. So in Nehemiah, we're in chapter 4. And at this point in the story, a lot of exciting things have been happening. First, Nehemiah got a vision for what God had called him to. And he was broken. He was heartbroken. He wept. He prayed. And God spoke to him and put it in his heart to go and to be a part of leading a transformation to happen in the city of Jerusalem. It was in ruins. The gates had been burned down. The walls had been destroyed. The people, it said they were a remnant. The city was in reproach. And everyone there were just experiencing the ruin, the devastating, hopeless situation around them. But God had seen them, and God was preparing the way. He sent Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah went and he had all the resources because he received the blessing from the king. He had all the people because he shared the vision that God put in his heart and the people rallied to it. And last week we even saw that whenever the people would come together and put their hearts to that work, if we remember looking at this map again, everyone had a part to play inside of the work that was there. And I think we have the map there as one of the first slides that we could put up. Uh, that map kind of shows uh, Jerusalem and it shows all the different people. So all the colors that you see are the areas that they worked on and every name going all the way around are all different groups of people working in their own backyard, some of them working from out of town, but they all worked and when they did that, they surrounded the city and were building it up. So it was exciting at this point in time seeing the amazing work beginning. But how many of you know that once things are going pretty well, you better get ready for trouble? Uh, things can begin to go from great to worst in just a moment. And that's exactly what happened because there was an enemy in Nehemiah's day, an enemy that did not want to see the work continue. And they were those that opposed the purposes of God. And so they were going to do everything they could to confuse, to thwart, to stop the work. And guess what? They had been successful. For decades, they had been successful. They had tried this before. The people had tried to rebuild. And you know what they did? The enemy came against them. The people became overwhelmed. And they stopped working. So the enemy had been very good at keeping them feeling hopeless, sad, uh, just anxious, and, and giving up. The same is true today. We have a very real enemy. It isn't Sam Ballot and all his friends. It's, it's the enemy, Satan. It's the devil, the, the adversary of our souls, the one who wants us to walk in a way that other than what God would have for us. He's the one that's looking to lead us in a direction different than what God has shared with us and called us to. And he is always looking for opportunities to slow us down. The enemy, we learn, is always satisfied when people are feeling hopeless, defeated, and sitting there in their sadness. But once they start putting their hands to the work, once they start moving forward, you better believe that resistance is coming. The same is true today as it was in Nehemiah's day. If you're beginning to walk in God's purposes, you're beginning to live your life for him, you can expect trouble down the road. You can expect difficulties and trials to be there. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who's a very famous preacher from a long time ago, he said this, he said, God had only one son who was without sin, but he never had a child that was without trials. Do you know what that means? That Jesus suffered trials in every one of God's children. We suffer trials as well. And the enemy can use those trials to trip us up, to stop us, and to just cause us to live a hopeless, defeated life. But when we look at his word today, we find hope and we find a strategy to overcome the many things the enemy will use. Whenever the enemy is looking to use these trials and these problems in our lives, I call them devices. And the reason I call them devices is because in God's word, in an older translation, it says we are not ignorant to the enemies, to Satan's devices. He has many schemes, many things that he will use in the same way that we see here in Nehemiah uh, that he will use to deploy and really trip us up and stop us right in our tracks but we see that Nehemiah understands these devices he overcomes them and so today we're going to look at God's word we're going to understand the devices and then we're going to understand how to diffuse them how to get rid of them how to overcome them and walk in the purposes that God has for us so first let's start by getting an understanding of what those devices are let's look together in Nehemiah chapter 4 starting in verse 1 it says, now it came about when Samballot, and Samballot was uh, one of those that was an enemy of God's purposes and God's people. When he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, and he said, we are these, uh, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? 
Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish it in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? What about the burnt ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near to him and he began to say, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break down the stone wall. So we see them just beginning to insult the work that's underhand. And and you see them using some targeted ways. First, he begins to insult the people. He said, look at these feeble Jews. The word feeble that's used there in the Hebrew is the same imagery of a flower being cut. And if you look at a flower, you cut it, it looks beautiful for a day sitting in that vase. But after a while, what happens? It withers, it becomes worn out. That's what they were calling them. He said, look at them just withering away to nothing. Look at them, they're feeble. What do they think that they're going to accomplish? He then goes... Uh, forward to start to mock the very work that's underhand. And so this first device that's used by the enemy is one that we often face as well in life, and it's the device of ridicule. Ridicule is something that comes as a way to try to undermine and really get under the skin of of people that are looking to pursue uh, the work that God has for them. Ridicule has an amazing way of stopping you in your tracks. Uh, One person has called ridicule the language of the devil because there are people that could stand up against gunshots, but you know what happens? They fall down when someone starts making fun of them. There are people that can withstand all kinds of stress and strain and tension, but if you start to mock them, they become undone. It's one of the easy ways to get someone stopping immediately. And so you may know what this feels like. You set out on a mission, on a purpose, something that you were going to do, and the second someone starts to make fun of it, starts to make light of it, starts to mock it, you want to just give up. You want to just walk away from it. You don't feel like putting up with that. It's even more true whenever you go to live for Christ. So many of us don't do the things that the Lord has called us to when it comes to sharing our faith. Why? We're afraid of ridicule. We're afraid of people making fun of us. So the most important thing that we have been told to do by the Lord, we allow that idea that someone could mock us to get in the way of us doing what God has called us to do. I know there's got to be more than one in the room that can say amen to that, that can see that, can understand that we allow ridicule to rule us so often. It becomes something that undermines us. And this is a scheme. And you could see this. When I call it a device, it's because we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. The same way that I have said to you time and again that God's word is applicable, it's a timeless truth, means that it is applicable to us today just as it was when it was written and God wants to reveal something to us to change the way that we live our lives today. Whenever we look at the enemy and how he has worked since the beginning, um, we see that his devices and his tools that he uses, his schemes have not changed much either. The reason why I don't think that they've changed is not because they're that great, it's because they haven't stopped working. (laughs) He's still successful in them. The same things he was doing to trip up God's people thousands of years ago, they work today. So why would he change anything? In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, he used the idea to try to make God, try to make God the bad guy, try to make God the enemy, that's still working today. Uh, he said, you know, did God really tell you you couldn't eat from this tree? Did God, is God really that stingy? Is God really that withholding? He was trying to undermine God's goodness and people today are still trying to undermine God's goodness. The enemy uses that so often to get in the way. Ridicule is something that's used over and over and over again throughout scripture. We see it in the story of David and Goliath. Whenever the enemy giant stood against David, he ridiculed him. He mocked him. He shot out those assaults against him. When Jesus himself was being tried, he was being ridiculed by the soldiers as he hung on the cross they ridiculed him. Uh, As Elijah was up on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, they ridiculed him. Oftentimes when you are looking to step out into a God-sized goal, something that only God could accomplish in your life, you better be sure that you're going to be met with some ridicule. 
if you are walking in, in faithfulness to God and if he's putting dreams in your heart about what he's calling you to do, now I'm not talking about self-serving things, I'm talking about the purposes that God has for your life, to love him and to serve him. Whenever you step out in that, you better believe this as part of the resistance will be ridicule. And the enemy can use that to get under your skin, to disarm you and cause you to just stop. So Sam Ballad, he asks those three questions to them. He says, will they fortify themselves? Do they really have the ability to protect themselves? Look how feeble they are. Look how broken down the walls are. They're burnt. Are they picking up rubble and they're literally trying to rebuild with burnt pieces, which what they were doing in many cases? Will they sacrifice so not only was he mocking them, but he was mocking the desire they had to worship because that was a key part of why they were rebuilding. So he was mocking God. And he was saying, well, they finish in a day. What he's basically saying then is they have no idea how long it's going to take them. They have no idea what they got themselves into. And for many, as those words of ridicule would come, they just felt defeated. They felt like giving up. But Nehemiah didn't. He pressed on. He persevered. He continued through. And as he continued through, they got through that first phase of one of those devices, and they get to the next one. And the next one comes as we continue reading in verses 7 and 8, and it'll be up here on the screen. It says this, Now when Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites uh, had heard that the repaired walls of Jerusalem went on and that they had begun to breach uh, and close up everything that had been opened, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause a disturbance to it. Look what it says there again in verse 8. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance to it. This was an intimidating plot that they had to come against the people. They said, wow, they're having some success. You know, the greatest way to overcome that success is by intimidating them, by continuing to apply the pressure and making them feel too small for the task, making them feel that they can never accomplish it. And so the next device that often comes into your life when you are walking in this way is intimidation. And the enemy can use intimidation. And that is just simply you understanding how small you are compared to how big the task is in front of you. And so that intimidation will come and that applies a pressure. You become intimidated by the enemy and how strong he might be and all the things that would go in life that could cause you to walk in that way of intimidation. And so as this happens, the people are becoming intimidated. They're allowing that intimidation to weigh on them. And whenever you take uh, the idea of ridicule and you add that with intimidation, uh, or you take any of these devices and you begin to apply them and they start to take root in someone's heart and life, the next area becomes uh, the area that many of us live in. Many of us often get to and cannot get out of. It's where the people found themselves by the time we get to verse 10. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing. And yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. You know what this is? This is discouragement. Discouragement comes. Discouragement is literally coming to take the courage out, to remove courage so that you cannot walk forward with confidence anymore. The people, they really came under that discouragement as they were ridiculed, as they were intimidated, as they received those threats, they became discouraged, and before long, they looked at how big the wall was, how great the task was, how great their enemies were, and they just sat down in discouragement and said, we can't do anything about it. Discouragement is a key weapon that Satan uses, the enemy uses in his arsenal. Um, discouragement is what kept the people of Israel 
all the way back in Numbers chapter 13 from ever entering into the promised land. They had wandered for some time, but then they were on the banks of the Jordan. And as they were there, they sent out spies to go and look and see um, about the land that God had promised them. They knew that God promised them and called them into that land. And so they went out, they sent the spies. Two spies came back and said, we can do it. We can walk forward. It's great, but it's not too great for God. The other 10 came back and said, are you kidding me? Those men are like giants. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. What are we going to do? We can't do it. We can't fight against them. They're too great for us. And you know what happened? The leadership sided. The people sided with the 10. And you know what it says in God's word when it's telling about that account? It says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 19. It says, when they came out of the valley and they saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel. So they did not go into the land which the Lord God had promised. Another translation that says they discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel. By doing that, by allowing the ridicule and the, the intimidation in, they just discouraged them to the point where they couldn't move forward anymore. There's some of you today, you've become so discouraged in where you are that you can't move forward anymore. And I don't know what your circumstances are, but I don't need to know what your circumstances are. What I want you to know today is that the enemy has been using that discouragement to hold you right where you are and I'm believing that God wants to lift you up and lead you forward. And he wants you to overcome the discouragement and the device that the enemy's using in your life. These words, we are not able, become the rallying cry for all those who often take their eyes off the Lord and start looking at themselves or their problems. We don't need to be reminded about how big our problems are. We need to be reminded about how big our God is. And when we put our eyes back on him, we see his greatness, we are reminded again and then we can start reminding our problems how big our God is instead of the other way around. And that's what we're called to live and that's what we're called to walk in. Nehemiah, his, his eyes were focused. He wasn't going to keep looking at what everyone else was looking at. He was going to be the leader God called him to be. He kept his eyes on the work God had for him. He overcame and pressed through and persevered through that discouragement. And then the final bout came against the people. It's the, the big one that the enemy will bring. It's really the accumulation of the first three. And whenever they come, they can normally be the paralyzing force for any person that's looking to walk forward. Let's look together in verses 11 through 14. It says, then our enemies said, so the enemies weren't successful in all these other times, and here's what they finally said. They will not know or see until we come among them. We will kill them and we will put a stop to their work. They say this and people start to hear about it. And so the Jewish people that lived near them came and they told us, verse 12, they told us 10 times. Can you imagine someone telling you this 10 times? They will come up against us from every place where we, you may turn. Saying they're coming for us. They're going to come anywhere. Now the walls had these areas that were, um, that were vulnerable. They were areas that were weak, that, that were open for attack. And so Nehemiah had to initially go and he had to seal up those areas. In verse 13 it says, Then I stationed, it's Nehemiah talking, men along the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. And verse 14 describes this device clearly. When I saw their fear. When I saw their fear. Fear is one of the greatest paralyzing forces in this world, if not the greatest. Whenever we come under fear, whenever we succumb to fear, whenever we become gripped by fear, 
It takes our breath away. It, it immobilizes us. It causes us to just become stuck right where we are. Some of you know what this is like. You have struggled with maybe a phobia at some point in your life, and that's a fear of something. Do you remember how crippling that fear was for you? Do you remember what it did to you, what, how it kept you? And, and that fear always has a way of keeping you somewhere or away from somewhere. Fear, that fear of some, whatever the phobia is, it will have a way of keeping you away from or um, to a certain area. And so that phobia filled them. They were afraid now because there was a threat against their lives. And they looked at the walls and it was so exposed. And they said, they could attack us from any angle. And they became paralyzed in fear right in that moment. If you look back over our nation's history, you can see back in the late 1920s, we had the Great, the Great Depression. And the Great Depression was when the stock markets crashed, when people um, lost everything in an instant. And as the country was, was completely trapped and, and really becoming gripped with fear, there might be a few of you that can remember being a young child during this time. People didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to turn. They didn't know how there would become any hope for the future. And at that time, a new man came. Uh, he was voted into office and he was ready to share. It was Franklin Roosevelt. He was getting ready to share with the people um, his inaugural address in 1933. And as he gets up, the first words that he says, after his first two sentences, he says this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And what he was trying to show them is if they continued to look and become fearful, they would never find themselves getting out of the mess that they had found themselves in at that day. It would call for them to start to operate in more faith than in fear. And he called the people to it and he identified the greatest problem plaguing them. It wasn't the economy. It wasn't the situation around the world. It wasn't all of those things. It was fear that had gripped them. And that has now rippled throughout history as one of the great uh, phrases and quotes that have ever been spoken out by a president, but it came in a time when they needed to become fearless, when they needed to step up, when they needed to stop allowing fear to paralyze them. And in this moment in time, the people were paralyzed in fear and Nehemiah had to step up and he had to say something to get them out of that funk and out of that fear and out of that paralyzed state. And so he spoke to them in verse 14 and here's what he goes on to say. It says, I rose up and I spoke to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people. I said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He takes their eyes off of their circumstances and puts them back onto God. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each to his own work. Nehemiah stood up and courageously gave this statement. The statement was this, don't be afraid because God is on our side. God is with us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live as slaves to fear because God who is with us is greater than all of them combined. And so he trusted. And he said something. It sounds so much like what we have heard in Scripture in the New Testament. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. Nehemiah is saying, we have one who is with us that's greater than anyone that's against us. So we don't have to be afraid and live in fear anymore. And as soon as they did that, did you see what it said? It said, God then frustrated their plans. Whenever you overcome these devices, you're frustrating the plans of the enemy that he won't be able to continue in them anymore. And so we want to understand, if we take all of that, all of the lessons that we're kind of seeing, all the devices, we want to see how was this really over 
overcome? How did Nehemiah overcome? How did he diffuse these devices that were being used by the enemy to come against him and stop the work that God has? Because if we can understand that from God's word and we apply it into our lives today, we could be successful to not fall prey to the many devices that have gotten us stuck and paralyzed today. And so let's take a look at this. If we look through God's word, we see this. There are two things that come up to the surface that Nehemiah continually leans on to overcome and diffuse the devices of the enemy. Nehemiah diffused the devices of the enemy through prayer and preparation. These were the two ways, through prayer and through preparation. We can start with prayer. Prayer was the foundation to everything that Nehemiah did. Nehemiah, whenever he got the word that Jerusalem was in ruin, whenever he got the word of how bad it was, what was the first thing he did? He wept and he prayed. He went before the Lord. Whenever God put it in his heart, he prayed and said, give me favor. Whenever God had given him favor and then he was given the opportunity to speak, he stopped and he prayed. And God was with him. Whenever they started to face difficulty and the enemy started rushing in like a flood, what did Nehemiah do? Let's look in verse 4. This is right after he's been ridiculed. So we go all the way back up to verse 4 in Nehemiah chapter 4. They have been ridiculing. They're making fun of him. He could have taken it into his own hands, but instead he does this. This goes right into a prayer. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their approach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out before you for they have demoralized the builders. He said, don't allow them to. And look what it says right after that. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together at half its height for the people had a mind to work. I want you to take notice of that phrase, they had a mind to work. Because prayer has this incredible ability to give us the right mind. And what I mean by that is this, that prayer gives us the right perspective. Prayer had the ability to give Nehemiah the right perspective in that moment. Oftentimes, when we are entrenched in in some kind of opposition, whenever we're feeling pressure from every side, we are first responsive. We want to take that into our own hands and figure it out. Nehemiah had a very real physical, invisible enemy coming against him. They said real words that hurt in a real way. And Nehemiah could have said real words back or he could have done something. He could have closed his ears. He could have ignored. What he did was he went to the source. He went to the one who he knew really needed to be sought in this matter. He turned to the Lord in prayer before he did anything else. Prayer changed his perspective. It gave him the right perspective. Do you know why? Because they're ridiculing the people, they're ridiculing the work, they're ridiculing the plan, they're ridiculing all those things. But you know what they're really ridiculing if they're doing that? They're ridiculing the God who called Nehemiah. If you're making fun of the people, the plan, the vision, the work, the the resources, all that was given by God. So Nehemiah realizing this says, Lord, this is your battle. I place it in your hands. Some of you today, you need to take whatever it is you're walking through and you need to give it back to the Lord saying, Lord, this is your battle. This is yours. Allow me to stop trying to fight your battles. Lord, I look to you. Would you take care of this? And he ultimately gives it to the Lord and says, you, Lord God, take them on. They're opposing you. Jeremiah the prophet, this was a lesson that he was unable to learn in so much of his ministry. Jeremiah the prophet uh, got a a very uh, special nickname. Does anyone know what his nickname is? The weeping prophet. Do you know why he was called the weeping prophet? Because he allowed the words of the people to get under his skin. The opinions of the people, 
uh, the opinions of the people towards all the things that God had called him to do. And eventually, Nehemiah gets to a point in his life that he becomes so depressed and he's weeping and he's crying and he's turning back to God saying, like, how could you have done this? And God has to tell him, just as God told him at the beginning when he called him, you stand before me. (laughs) The people, the people are going to hate you. It's because they hate me. The people are going to turn, it's because they turn against me. It's the same thing God told Samuel. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And what the people were doing, they didn't know who they were up against. They weren't up against a, a group of feeble Jewish people. They were up against the God of, of Israel, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham. They were against the God who could do all things. And we need to allow prayer to give us that right perspective that we have a God who goes before us, a God who makes a way, a God who we could trust in and walk with. So prayer gave Nehemiah the right perspective, and so he prayed. Right when that happened. After that, so after the, the ridicule came, then comes the intimidation. And so they become intimidated and, and they're like, what are we going to do? All of the people are going to come. They want to attack us. Look at verse 9. But we prayed. But we prayed and because of them, we set up guard against them day and night. As you allow the perspective to remain on the Lord, as you put him first, as you pray and seek him in all things, he then gives the strategy on what to do. And the word for Nehemiah coming out of prayer each time was preparation. You've been praying and here, this is how you prepare yourself for what the enemy is going to do so that he is not successful. So we see that, we see the prayer piece being foundational, seeing something that Nehemiah is continually doing and that we need to continually be doing. And as we're doing that, as we're interceding, as we're standing for the things that matter most to the Lord, he's moving on our behalf. That's why we could pray for what's happening in northern Asia and to the ends of the earth, and God hears it and he moves. God needs intercessors. We need people in our prayer room. Every service, we have people that are up there praying for what God's doing in this service and what he desires to do. God hears and answers prayer. Wouldn't you want to agree with me on that? God is a God who hears and answers prayer. But you also need to be prepared. And we see that that's evident. Nehemiah didn't receive this discouraging news and go into a monastery somewhere and lock the door and just pray for the rest of the story. He had to pray, but he also had to prepare. And God's calling his people in these last days to pray and to prepare. We need to prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts, and to be ready to do exactly what God calls us to do. The strategy that God gave Nehemiah is one that's applicable to us today. The way that he prepared and the way that he called them to prepare, he said, be prepared to build and be prepared to battle. Be prepared to build and be prepared to battle. They couldn't do one or the other. They had to do both. Look at what Nehemiah does here going into verse 17. It says this. It says that those who were building the wall and those who carried the burdens took their load in one hand, doing the work with the other, holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore a sword girded to the side as he built, and while the trumpeters stood near me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. We are separated on the wall from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. He said, we're in prayer, we're praying, but be prepared. Be prepared in your building. Have the trowel in your hand. Be doing the work that you've been called to do. Be prepared to fight. Be prepared to battle. Have the armor ready. Have all the weapons that I've given you and equipped you with ready so that you can protect the work that God's doing and you could stand firm against the enemy. This is what the, the Christian life is all about. We are called to be builders and we're called to be those that take battle. Not because we're going and looking on the offensive to hurt or to, to take. We are looking to see the kingdom of God advance and we're looking to stand firm against the enemy who wants to overcome us. 
We are told time and time again to stand firm, to resist, to take that posture that we do not allow the enemy to overcome us. And so we see that Nehemiah is ready to build and he's keeping their mind on the building. He's keeping the vision where it was. For so many people, the easy thing to do would say, whenever the enemy says they're going to come, we're just going to take a posture of battle then. Let's just take up all our swords and we'll just sit here and we'll wait for the enemy. And they could have waited day and night and the enemy could have come in waves and they could have fought every day for months and weeks and years. And guess what? The enemies of that day would have been very satisfied with that. Why? Because they did not want to see the work accomplished that God had set forth. The same is true today. If the enemy can't make you fall, he'll just make you busy. He'll keep you busy enough that you cannot complete the things that God would have for you. And we can find ourselves becoming so busy, doing so many things, caught up in so much, that we never actually keep our focus on what God has called us to. On the other end, it could have just said, well, we're just going to keep building and put their heads in the sand and said, we don't care, we're just going to start building. And you know what would have happened? The enemy would have come in like a flood and would have overcome them. They had to live in that place of preparation, preparation for building, preparation for battle. What does that look like today? We're not called to just rebuild, uh, you know, we're not going to go to Jerusalem anytime soon and try to rebuild some of the walls and gates that we don't see anymore. Um, we're not just called to be a construction company here at the church. Instead, Jesus, whenever he gave uh, the keys to the kingdom, he said to his disciples, when he stood there and he established uh, the church, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we have a part to play in that building process as well. Because Jesus also said, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And whenever we're faithful to go out and to share Jesus with others, and people come to know him and come into a life-changing relationship with him, you know what happens? They become living stones. So the stones we're building with today and that are building God's kingdom are living stones. They're people's lives. We are called to see the kingdom of God advance, meaning this, that people are coming to an awareness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're coming into relationship with him. And every time someone does, it's the kingdom of God being built and expanded to the ends of the earth. And so today, that's the work that God's called us to. That's the work we know we are called to. We may not know all the particulars of, of exactly what it is God wants us to do tomorrow, but I can tell you this, if you belong to him, he wants you to be sharing his love with someone else. He wants you to be witnessing. He wants you to be giving testimony that God is a God who saves, who could set them free, who can give them a hope and a future. So we're building, and we can't become distracted from that building. We can see the signs of the times. We can see all these things. It can make us want to run away and hide in our prayer closet until Jesus comes back and not do anything. And if we were to do that, we would not be doing what he's called us to do in this day. He's called us to be out there in the front lines, winning people, sharing the good news of who he is. But he also calls us not to be ignorant, to be prepared. Because if we're in, in that, that situation, we will be very vulnerable if we're not suited for battle, if we're not ready for what God's called us to. And so we saw how Nehemiah's people were prepared for the battle in front of them. But the Apostle Paul says that our enemy today is not an enemy of flesh and blood, but it's principalities, powers of darkness that are coming against God's purposes in our lives. And so for us to be prepared for battle today, it's we take all of those same uh, images that we see in Nehemiah's story and we don't walk around looking like knights but spiritually we're doing that very thing he says put on the full armor of God so that we are able to stand firm when the days get evil look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 13 through 18 and Pastor Brian and the worship team can come at this time it says therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil then after the battle you will be standing firm Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. 
For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news of those uh, that have been fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take up the sword of the spirit that is the word of God and pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion and stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's part of that preparation and actually wearing that armor that God calls us to calls us right back to the first thing, prayer. We are called to be prayed up and prepared. Prayer and preparation is what God has called us to. And that we stand firm, not in our own strength, but in God's strength. That's what we've been praying. We stand not looking to do anything in our own strength, but we have his righteousness on us. We have his truth uh, that holds us up. We have his word that is our sword. We have our faith and our trust in him that can overcome any fear and any doubt, any of the enemy's devices that would come against us. We stand firm with his salvation that covers our head, preserves our lives for eternity. If we're going to be a prepared people, being prepared for battle means that we are prayed up and means that we wear the armor that God has called us to wear, that we've clothed ourselves with all the things that God's word calls us to. And as we do that, we will find success in the same way that Nehemiah did. We will see that the enemy's plans will continue to be undone, dissolved. Let's finish up with these final three verses. It says, so we carried on the work with half of them holding the spears from dawn till the stars appeared. And at that time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. And so neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor a man or a guard followed me. None of us removed our clothes or even took a weapon, uh, even took his weapon, even to the water. They kept the weapon with them. They kept prepared. This tells us that no matter what the time is, we need to be ready. No matter what Uh, what we are doing and what we're walking through, we should never not be alert and mindful of what the Lord has called us to. And as we do this, we can see those of us that are caught in discouragement, fear, intimidation, ridicule, those that feel paralyzed and stuck right where you are. God wants to give you the ability to overcome today. And it only happened by coming to him, by acknowledging him, by realizing that he's the only one who can lift you out of the place that you find yourself and give you a hope and a future. And as you walk with him, those of you who've been walking with him, are you deepening your faith in him? Are you continuing to put more and more of your trust in him every single day? And as you're doing that, you're literally putting on armor, armor that will hold you, armor that will allow you to stand firm in these evil days that we we live in. So would you bow your heads and your hearts with me today? And I want to give an opportunity for you if you are in that place of discouragement, fear, you feel stuck, today you you've been living with the weight of sin in your life and you don't have a relationship with God you've never asked Jesus to be first in your life you never asked him to forgive you of your sins today I want to give you that opportunity I want to give you the opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus to come into a life-changing relationship with him it starts with a prayer it starts with surrender it starts with you acknowledging your need for him So don't allow pride to get in the way of this. Don't allow anything to stop you in this moment because I believe God wants someone to come to know him today. If that's you and you say, today I want to say a prayer and ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and be first in my life, I want you to lift your hand above your head if that's you. If that's anyone here I'm describing, I see you in the back. Anyone else? Just lift your hand above your head if that's you. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. 
And let's just say this prayer from the bottom of our heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. They separated me from you. Today, I believe that there's forgiveness in your name. So Lord, I turn from them and I walk in your ways and I ask you to lead and guide me every day of my life. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Can we all stand together? Today, if you said that prayer, we're gonna have some prayer workers that are here at the front. I want you to come forward and talk to someone. Today, if you're walking through a difficulty and a trial and you need someone just to agree with you in prayer, feel free, our altars are gonna be open. You can come forward and pray for anything. We're gonna spend these last moments just reflecting on, on God's word. And so you can sing along with us. You can save your conversations for the foyer if you need to excuse yourself at any time. But let's make this a place to respond to the Lord together. God bless you. And uh, let's continue to seek the Lord in his face.